the last chapter of First Thessalonians, chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. Here now, the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety... Then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light, and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober." For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, And be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you brethren. Warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble minded. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man. But ever follow that which is good. Both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesyings, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. So there are some that would say that uh, the, the eschatology of the New Testament is an immediate eschatology. 
um, that the disciples, the apostles, the teachers of the church, and they'll point to particular passages, and they'll say something like this. They'll say something like, you can see that, that they were expecting that the day of the Lord would come very quickly. That was their expectation. Um, of course, people that say things like that, uh, they don't take into account other passages of Scripture that really show that, it, that there, were, there, were, there is some teaching in the New Testament that tells us that it's going to be a very long time. And we'll see that when we get to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Okay. Notice here it says um, that the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. Um, I remember an old movie by that name. Some of you might remember that too back in your evangelical days, right? I remember we were showing that movie once down in Mexico. We were on a mission down there. And we were going around telling people we were going to show it to them. And the, the uh, Spanish name for that is Landron en la Noche, a thief in the night. And we went to this one gentleman that was out on the street. And we said, we're going to be showing this, this movie tonight, this, pe- this película, right? Uh, Landron en la Noche. And he said, oh yeah, there's a lot of those around here. <laughs> thought that was an interesting comment. <laughs> There's a lot of thieves in the night around here. <laughs> so we got a good laugh out of that, um, like, you, like you all did. <laughs> so um, what, you know, some will point to a passage like that, and, 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 and what they'll say about that is, you, you see, what Paul is saying here is that there, that there are people that, are, are, uh, that ought to know that Jesus is coming back at any time. The Thessalonians actually developed a perverse notion of that. And when we get to the second Thessalonians, what do we hear? What do we hear? We hear that there's this difficulty that they've stopped working because, you know, Jesus is coming back next Tuesday. Right? So it ends up being a problem. But, but notice that Paul is actually saying the opposite here. He's not saying it's an any moment return. He's saying be ready so you're not caught off guard um, the Thessalonians themselves were ready. You know, they, they were expecting any moment. He's saying that because it will not be any moment, because it will be set very much in advance, some people will be lulled to passivity. They'll be lulled into a non-expectation. They'll say like those folks say in Second Peter 3, all things continue since the fathers until now, just like they have been. In other words, this is an idea here that you need to be ready. This idea is not that Jesus is coming back any moment, but that it will be for some time, and yet you should always remain ready because you know not when. Okay, so I think the first part of this chapter is not really geared toward Jesus may come back at any moment, but that we should live as though he might. And that's what's being said. And if the expectation in the first century was it's any minute, well then there wouldn't be a necessity to tell people to remain watchful. He's telling them to remain watchful because it's easy to become complacent. That's the point over a long period of time. So when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child and they shall not escape. Now, you know my eschatology, it's not partial preterism. But if I was a partial preterist, what I would tell you is that, yes, Jesus did come back very soon. 70 AD and everything's done. Right? But I don't believe that, and I think most, if not all of you, don't either, that we still look for a day of Christ's return and we are to remain ready and not complacent until that day. 
Okay? All right. So, verse 4. Brethren, ye are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. And now, Paul will draw a contrast between darkness and light. And he'll say, those of us who are of the day and then those who are of the night. All right. So, we will remember, won't we, that... that um, Folks are emboldened to do things under color of darkness that they would be ashamed to do during the day. And this is what Paul is talking about here. So he's using that natural metaphor. And he's saying that we should live as people of the day. That everything we do is done under the bright sunny sun. And everybody sees, including the Lord, what we do. And so we we are under that bright sun of God's piercing gaze at all times. So let us not be slothful, but also, not just slothful, but let us avoid other more nefarious things. They that be drunk, be drunken in the night, right, and so on. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and hope, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. So the breastplate, right, this piece right here, of faith and hope, and then for a helmet, that is all of our thoughts. So all of our affections are, are toward our faith, right, um, and hope. But that helmet that is upon our head, that our thoughts are geared toward our eternal salvation. We are heavenly minded in that sense. We've set our minds and our affections on things above. So verse 9, God hath not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. And notice the word sleep there. We heard it in the last chapter too. Paul says that those who die in the Lord sleep in Jesus. I can't tell you, beloved, what a comfortable, comforting phrase that is. Think about that for a moment. When we think of going to sleep, we think of what? Awaking the next day. Um, Sometimes when we go to sleep, (laughs) I don't know why, but like mine was last night, our minds are very active. We're going to all these thoughts and these things and going on, right? When we go to sleep in Jesus, our minds go to rest with him. We're conscious, right? Our souls go to be with him. Our bodies, they're laid in the grave like they're laid in the bed. And one day, they will awake. We sleep in Jesus. Our larger catechism tells us that the the bodies of unbelievers, of the wicked, are kept in their graves as in their prisons till the judgment of the great day. But for us who belong to Christ, our bodies sleep in Jesus. Well, that has several implications, right? As we heard in the last chapter, comfort yourself one another with these words. There's a comfort that belongs to that, right? And beyond that, there's, there's also, you know, certain testimony that we give to that resurrection that we anticipate. The resurrection is the most comforting doctrine for those who are in Christ because Christ, as our Savior, body and soul, I mean, if he bought your body, why would he let it go? He's going to bring it. He's going to bring it back. It's going to wake up. And, and so as we belong to him, body and soul, he will not leave any part of us to molder forever in the grave. Right? Okay, good. So now, <clears throat> comfort yourselves 
uh, together and edify one another, even as ye also do. And that ends the first section of verse 11. Watchfulness for the coming of the Lord. Verse 12 now, how do we live that out? How do we live that out? What are some of the things that we do in this life that will help us? And we're going to look at this passage a little bit later, Lord willing, in the sermon, so we don't have to look too much at it right now, except to know this, that there is a relationship that we have to those who watch over us in the Lord. And that relationship helps us against that great day of the resurrection. They need us, right? And we need them. The elders of the church need folks to watch over them. And we need folks to watch over us, to keep us on track, to call us to account when we go astray, to correct us or to encourage us in well-doing. We need all of that. And this is what Paul is talking about here in 12 and 13. And there are things that we ought to do with regard to our elders. And when I say elders, for myself as a minister, what I mean is my brethren at Presbytery who have charge over me and our local elders here who also have a part of that charge, that we defer to one another, that we love each other, that we, that we um, esteem each other very highly in love for the sake of that work, not for the sake of their person, not for the sake of the office, but for the sake of that work, that that work might go forward. And that's a, a very interesting turn of phrase, and yet very useful as the apostle brings it out there. And then what is the happy result of that when we learn how in the church to submit to one another in the fear of the Lord and be at peace among yourselves? That's how the verse ends. We'll find that that's what leads to peace. What is unity? Unity is unity with Christ. Schism is schism against Christ, right? And so we ought to be very careful with all of those things. All right, so now we exhort you, brethren, in verse 14, um, there is a... um, there's a, a contingent in the church that will always be with us that need a little bit of exhortation. Uh, it says, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all. The all there, I think that first all has to do with the, what's going on inside the church. Okay. Secondly, it'll say, see that none render evil for evil unto any, but follow after that which is good both among yourselves and to all men. And so it is only at the last of that then that he brings in that we have this duty toward all men as well. Um, I think that it is, a, it is a competent statement of Christian doctrine to say that the people of God are to be priority-minded toward the assembly of saints first and then the rest of the world. Okay? Do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith, is how Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6. All right, so now we have these wonderful verses that anybody can memorize. Two words is the first one, right? Would you like to memorize scripture? You can start with 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Rejoice evermore. Wonderful. It's a command. Pray without ceasing. Without ceasing, please don't take that literally. You know, close your eyes while you're driving. Don't do that. But understand that that's to be undertaken at all times. Right? Then in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Note that we have a second statement about the will of God. In the last chapter it was your sanctification. In this chapter is that you give thanks. This is the will of God. Thankfulness is the will of God for you, beloved. Quench not the spirit. What does that mean? To quench 
the Spirit. Well, it means that you, that, that when there are uh, times of particular spiritual sensitivity, instead of striking while the iron is hot, you turn away from that. You don't take that opportunity that, that is presenting itself. What Samuel Rutherford will say in the, uh, in the sheet that you have, is he'll say it like this. We can't make the wind blow. Christ does that. The mariners, they don't make the wind blow. But they can certainly send up the sails and be ready when the wind does blow. Or they can pretend the wind will never blow and don't send up the sails. Right? Quench not the spirit. What that means here in this context, beloved, is have your sails ready for the blowing of the spirit rather than being unprepared or worse for those special times of God's movement in your heart. In conviction, in edification, in advancement, in knowledge, in grace, in whatever that is. In salvation. Then despise not prophesyings. Prophesyings there, that doesn't mean extraordinary teaching. It simply means the teachers of the church. Remember that in the first century, you had an inspired prophet sitting right next to a prophet that was not an inspired prophet on the same bench, teaching perhaps even in the same service. Right? And they were both called prophesyings. Okay? So despise not that office, that office of preaching that God has set in his church. Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Ooh, look at that. The, the other side of that coin. Despise not prophesying. Does that mean then that I should be credulous? That I should believe everything that's told me? No. Turn the coin over. Look at the other side. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Right? So don't despise prophesying, prophesying, but make a good use of them by proving them and holding fast to that which is good. Be a good Berean, in other words, as we say in our parlance. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Okay, so the Greek here, it means abstain from all appearance of evil. That's what it means. I know that you'll, you'll, you might hear some things out there in the wilds that are something other than that. No, that's not what it means. Sometimes you'll hear me pray that we would abstain from all occasions of evil, temptations to evil, appearances of evil, and evil itself. There are things, beloved, that may not in themselves be wrong, but they will not bring honor to Christ. That will, that's what we would call the appearance of evil. Or it may be that no evil is about to take place. We talked earlier today about not defrauding your brother, taking care of the, of the ladies that, we're, that we men are in charge over, have to give answer for, right? And so one of the things that we do is we want to protect their reputation and modesty. There are appearances of evil. I remember one particular uh, man at, at the old church. He was, going to, he was speaking to the pastor and myself, and he was saying that he was going to give a woman a ride from one part of the country to another. They were going to be in a car together for like two days. They're not married. They're not, you know, it's not, it's not right. <laughs> it may, nothing may happen, but does it look good? Does it pass the eye test? No, it didn't. And I remember he got pretty angry when we, you know, oh, you would doubt me like that. No, no, it has nothing to do with doubt and everything to do with First Thessalonians 5.22 and the appearance of, you know, if we're to abstain from every appearance of evil, 
then we are to promote every appearance of propriety. Right? The opposite is also true. So that's 22. All right, so now we have a wonderful benediction here. The very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what is said here. There are some that have turned to 1 Thessalonians 5.23, they think, to, to, uh, to teach the doctrine of, quote, entire sanctification. What does it say? The very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Well, I want that. Don't you want that? Yeah, we all want that. But is that something that's promised to us in this life? Well, Paul is not talking about this life. And it's obvious from what follows that he's not talking about this life. He is looking, however, for that time when we will be sanctified wholly in glory. And beloved, these are the training grounds for that time. These are the preparation grounds for that time. And so that's why there is a continuity and a congruity that, that uh, exists between holiness now and holiness then. Okay? But it's not... Perfection now. It's not entire sanctification as the Nazarenes say and some of the Wesleyan groups would say and some of the Anabaptists would say. Uh, no, that's not true in these days. We sin daily in thought, word, and deed. We'll continue to do so because no matter how good we get, no matter how holy we are in our thoughts, words, and deeds, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and nothing measures up to the standard of God's glory. And remember, that's the standard. That's what we fall short of. Okay? I have uh, relatives that uh, dabble in that. They're not entire sanctification people, but they do dabble in that. And uh, we've had very long and, I hope, fruitful conversations. And then notice what he says. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. He will preserve you, spirit, soul, and body, uh, blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will do that. You can look forward one day to being entirely sanctified. All right, so now we have this greet all, uh, sorry, brethren, pray for us. The ministry always craves prayer. The ministry craves prayer. I pray that you're praying for me. I hope you're praying for me and other godly ministers. Sorry, I didn't mean to elevate myself in that phrase. I misspoke. I pray that you're praying for all godly ministers and me. Right, that the Lord would uh, would be pleased to be kind to His people, despite the servant, to bring forth that good word week by week by week to His people, and then greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. Uh, of course, in that day, the holy kiss was uh, you know that peck peck one cheek and then the other, and you know there are some some places in the world that's still practiced. It's fine. We have different ways of doing that. We give each other a warm handshake, maybe a two-hander, you know, or we give each other a hug, things like that, and that's fine. And, you know, uh, uh, in these days post-COVID, uh, we're still doing that, <laughs> just like COVID never existed, and that's how we ought to be handling that, right? There's different ways to handle it. It's not, you know, everybody's a Petri dish infector. <laughs> we, not, we ought not to be thinking about our, our brothers and sisters like that. We ought to be greeting them properly as Christian brethren. If you're sick, stay home, right? That's the thing. Let's be sensible in a world gone mad. 
All right, so finally, uh, the word of God needs to be read to everybody. I charge you by the Lord, that's a very solemn charge, that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren, and finally, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's stand. Call upon the Lord in prayer.